0: Did you see the uh, Harvard Business Review this week? I didn't either, but I found an article (laughs) that came out of it and it's entitled, More Powerful People Express Less Gratitude. And the summary? Well, less gratitude from power people can impact employees who feel underappreciated and in some cases makes them more likely to want to quit. If you feel underappreciated, you're not alone. Uh, 59% in one study said they have never been truly appreciated by a boss. And in another survey, 53% said they would stay longer at their company if they felt more appreciated So what's this relationship between people with organizational power and gratitude? Well, this is the conclusion. Higher power people feel more entitled. Based on their presumed elevated status, they have reduced concerns about their relationships with others. Now it is the case that organizations can change, it's possible, but it begins with leaders according to this study. Ultimately, they have to model gratitude in in informal encounters, in formal recruitment efforts, and in performance reviews. Don't we all need to be more grateful? In fact, Paul has a telling indictment uh, against people who say that they know God and yet are not thankful gratitude and godliness are the work of the Holy Spirit they go together and so let me just say on the side please pray for me because I want to do better at expressing appreciation for the many sacrifices that you make to covenant church Well, today's theme is a call to be grateful. And it's summarized in the words, bless the Lord. We're going to look at the psalm that Ajalon just read, Psalm 103, uh, in its entirety, verses 1 to 22, Psalm 103. Now, David neatly packages this song for us. He begins with a word of personal praise. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me and then he moves from there to praising God for his goodness to individuals, and then from there, God's goodness to Israel as a nation, and then he concludes by talking about a universal call to praise and personal praise, and verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. and We find that also in verse 22. That's the bracket. If you will, that's the thing that holds the whole psalm together. And we're going to look at the text in the order that it's given to us. And uh, then at its teaching and then conclude with one application. One way that we think this will help you in the week that's ahead. So let's look at the point of personal praise. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, the writer is carrying on a public dialogue with himself. And in so doing, he's encouraging others to follow his example. But what does it mean to bless, and what does it mean to bless the Lord? At uh, the end of a worship service, a pastor typically pronounces a benediction. He's giving a blessing. And he's standing between God and the congregation and for God, he's passing this blessing on to those who are hearing him. But that raises a question. How is David, who's fallen like you and me, able to bless God, who's high and lifted up? Well he isn't able to give God a blessing in the same way that God gives a blessing to us in a benediction. The verb to bless has a a little, uh, has a range of meaning. And he uses a word in the verb form that means honor, adore, praise, or thank. So it's in that sense that he can bless the Lord. He can honor the Lord, he can praise the Lord, he can thank the Lord. Interestingly, in Hebrew, uh, you can have a word be this verb form, and the exact same vowels are in a noun form, and that's the case here. The noun form of the verb to bless, express thanks, adore, honor, is the word knee. Knee. And so you get the idea. David is commanding himself to bless the Lord, that is, to kneel before the Lord in worship, gratitude, and praise. And in addition, this expression of thanks is a whole person activity. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. And this praise is focused on God's name. All that is within me, bless his holy name. What's important about God's name? Well, what's important about your name? What's important about my name? The next time we get together, I hope you don't say, hey, Tony, it's nice to see you. Uh, Names are important because they reveal to us what God is like, as do his attributes, Now, this is a sidebar comment, but have you ever heard somebody take the name of the Lord in vain? They use it to curse? And a more common common kind of problem in that same area is taking the attributes of God and misusing them. Like, oh my goodness, or holy cow. The Lord wants us to stay away from those kinds of expressions because his name is important to him. He wants his name and his attributes to be treated properly. So blessing God is a response of awe. And so verse 2 ends with, Bless, honor, give thanks, bow in humility to his holy name. We don't know when uh, David composed the psalm, Charles Spurgeon has an opinion about it, and this is what he says. We should attribute this psalm uh, to his latter years when he had a higher sense of the preciousness of pardon. Because a keener sense of sin than in his young with a keener sense of sin than in his younger days, his clear sense of the frailty of of life indicates his weaker years, as also does the very fullness of his praiseful gratitude. So let me ask how are you at praising the Lord? Are you grateful to him more this week than you were last week or last month or last year? There's been an accumulating pile of benefits. That he has showered upon you. What place does giving thanks have in your life? Forget not all his benefits. We're told Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, uh, goes at this blessing of giving uh, benefit, uh, of, of expressing praise to the Lord from the other side. He says, Take care, keep your soul diligently. Lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. And lest you depart. Let them depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Bless the Lord. Forgetting God's blessings is the opposite of blessing his name. A close cousin to forgetting is grumbling. Remember what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, do all things without murmuring and disputing that you might be sons of God without reproach in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation. How's your grumbling these days? My uh, parents who taught me this psalm also taught me a little song I'm not going to sing it, but I will tell you some of the words. In country, town, or city, some people can be found who spend their time at grumbling at everything around. Oh yes, they always grumble no matter what they say, for these are chronic grumblers, and they grumble night and day. Oh, they grumble on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, grumble on Wednesday too, grumble on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, grumble all the whole week through. The call to praise the Lord stands in opposition to grumblers, to people that are ungrateful. So let's look at the next section because in verses 3 and following, David focuses attention on God's goodness to individuals. It Almost seems as if these next verses cast what he has to say in him form. So notice the participles in the noun phrases here. Forgives, heals, redeems, crowns, satisfies. And now look at the pronouns that are associated with those. Forgives all your iniquities, heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with love and compassion, satisfies, Your desires renews your youth. Uh, Taken together, what do they do? They personalize God's acts. God is so powerful, and yet he's interested in individuals like you and me. He cares about people, people who are needy and struggle. It's very much like the hope that's offered to us in Exodus chapter Thirty four, verse six. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So let's just review. What's the Lord do? He forgives real sin and real guilt. He heals or restores from disease. Now, the writer may have some actual illness in mind here, but perhaps it's a metaphor for any adversity or setback. Instead of languishing languishing in the pit... God exalts to royalty with a crown, we're told. And he loves. The Lord comes to you in your frailty and your suffering with empathy. He knows where you are. He enters your world. And even though sin has breached the covenant, the Lord satisfies with blessings to renew his own like an eagle. I think a symbol of vigor and strength. So let's remember, David is talking to himself here. He, he realizes that he has a God-given ability to move toward the Lord. He's able to give or to withhold what is God's due. And so here he's not puffed up with his own self-importance. He's humble. He's willing to acknowledge his dependence. He blesses the Lord with all that's in him. Now, David's blessing is directly uh, tied to this idea of worship. When we come into the Lord's presence as individuals and as a group, this is a voluntary thing. I hope you don't feel pressured to be here today. It's voluntary. We come that way. G. Campbell Morgan observes that the place of worship is not a lounge. It's not a place of relaxation. You're called to enter with all the powers that you can muster, all the powers of your personality, focused and dedicated on making God great and enjoying his greatness. And the end game is forgetting about yourself and bringing praise that's worthy and acceptable to the king. When I was a teenager, I'll tell you, I didn't appreciate this. Uh, I'd be out late on Saturday night, drag myself into church Sunday morning, hardly uh, able to focus on the sermon lots of times. Now, if you'd asked me, I would have probably said, that's boring. My dad, I hear him talk all the time. That's changed now that I'm up in front. You know, I'm a little more into it. But the real question is, how engaged are you when you arrive each Sunday morning? Are you prepared? Have you submitted yourself to the Lord? Are you giving giving him your full attention and glad obedience? Well, the Lord's certainly been good. He deserves your praise, but there's more. And so now David turns our attention from an individual focus to God's goodness on Israel. That's really in, it takes up most of the Psalm, verses 6 to 19. In a world that's filled with abuse, violence, and war, aren't we glad God is, God is on the side of justice? He writes what is wrong. This means that he delivers his people from evil and oppression, and it also means that he avenges those who use power unjustly. So look at verses 7 to 10. God made made his ways known to Moses' His acts unto the children of Israel. Remember the golden calf debacle? After that event, Moses says to the Lord, would you please reveal yourself more fully? and he received a fuller expression of God's love and mercy and forgiveness. And though the Lord is justly angry with sin, what would you expect a righteous God to do in the face of sin? Though he's justly angry in sin, his mercy is more, his mercy is greater, he doesn't keep on criticizing and finding fault, the Lord doesn't respond in kind to the sins of his people. So look at the next verses, 11 and following. As, far, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. By grace, Israel became a holy nation. While the Lord's rule is over all the earth, he chose out one people for himself. His dominion is from east to west, and it's also from earth to heaven. But this does not diminish his commitment to his people. It's great, or we could say it's strong. He has a strong commitment to those who fear him. And though he calls his own to holiness, and he does, he's calling you to holiness, he understands our frailty. We've been made of dust. But we've been made to be sustained by divine mercy. And his mercy is more. Our hope lies in God's fatherly compassion. Now, as we saw last week, uh, life is brief and uncertain at best. But God's great love for those who fear him as his righteousness lasts forever. That's his commitment to you, to show you unfailing love, whatever your struggle may be this moment. And those who respond wisely in reverent fear, they enjoy the fullness of covenant blessings. Please look at verses 17 and 18. There's a wonderful, wonderful promise to parents there. You see it? The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant, and remember his commandments to do them. So we want to recognize God's kingdom reign. His throne is in the heavens and it extends over all. You may have heard of Abraham Kuyper. He helped to establish the Free University of Amsterdam, and in 1880 he made an address at the opening of that university in which he said this. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is Lord over all, does not exclaim, it's mine. Not an inch over which the Lord, who is over all, does not exclaim, it is mine. Yeah, you're called to bless the Lord, yes, yes. He's poured out his love on you as an individual. Yes, he has been very good in blessing Israel too. And yes, hmm, where do we go from here? Well, please look now at the end, verses 20 and 22, through 22. Bless the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Us, you and me here, blessing the Lord for all he's done is not an adequate expression of blessing God. Heavenly creatures are, joined, are called to join this party, the angels. They do his bidding, and the Lord wants them to get in on the worship celebration. In fact, he expects nothing less than for all of his creatures to give him his due. Over the course of this psalm, there's this movement from me at the beginning, bless the Lord, O my soul, and then to Israel, and then to all of creation, and now it's back to me. And so we conclude here, bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, why has this psalm been included in the Psalter? What's it doing here? What's the author trying to do in your life as a result of this psalm? He's trying to move you to more full, more consistent praise and service of God. He's directing you to give God your very best when you worship privately or where you worship collectively. And where do we see this idea of blessing God for all of his benefits on clearest display? Isn't it in the person and work of Christ? I mean, what does he do? He submits to the Father's will in eternity past to come into a sin-cursed earth and suffer and die for the sake of his people. And we see him blessing, bringing God's blessing to bear on the people to whom he ministered. What does he do? He blesses food at the feeding of the 5,000. He blesses the people that are there at Lazarus' resurrection. He thanks God that he's going to raise Lazarus, and he also thanks God that he has given him the privilege of being the savior of all men. So think about him. In modeling this God-centered living, isn't Jesus calling you to be like him who lived a God-centered life? Certainly he is. He's calling you to be filled with praise and obedience, counting your blessings, resting in his love and his forgiveness, seeking his glory around the world. So what's one point of application we might tease out of this? Let me do it through an illustration. Debbie and I have some missionary friends. They're in a cross-cultural setting. And they participate in a coaching program with others in their group. This program includes daily note-taking. They commit to writing down things, among other things, they commit to writing down things for which they're grateful. And what's the point of this exercise? For them, and for the rest of their group, counting your blessings changes the way you think. It gets you into a better frame of mind. And here's how it works for them. If it's a good day, they get out their notebook and they write down five reasons to be thankful. If it's an okay day, they write down ten. And if it's a very bad day, they write down 25. Can you see it? This modern coaching program is just kept catching up with what the Bible teaches. For centuries, the Lord has called his people to count their blessings. We're taught, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So why don't you, as a point of application from this sermon, take that coaching program and make it your own? Why don't you try this week, Get a notebook, put it near your bed. Before you go to sleep at night, record an appropriate number of reasons, commensurate with the kind of day you've had, uh, record an appropriate number of reasons to bless the Lord. It'll keep you in step with this psalm. More than that, it'll make you like Jesus. Lord, we ask you to help us to be people who are filled with, with gratitude for all that you've done for us. As we remember Jesus in his life of service, may we be more like him. Make us a blessing to one another and others you bring into our lives. And We pray these things in Jesus' name.